What up, guys? It's JP from the Double Double, and I'm here with my co-host, Ben. What's going on, everybody? Welcome. And today we're going to wrap up some of the playoff series that have ended, and then at the end of the episode, we'll probably look ahead to uh, round two. Um, so let's just start with one of the bigger surprises of the NBA uh, postseason. The Bucks were knocked off by the Miami Heat. Uh, the Miami Heat had to play two play-in games and went up against the number one seed and actually won. What are your reactions to the Bucks like getting taken out by Miami in a massive upset? This is incredibly historic. Not only is this the first time a play-in team has won a series, not only is this an eight seed beating a one seed, but this was a five-game series. They wrapped it up in five games. Jimmy Butler, I mean, we can talk forever about him, and I'm okay talking forever about Jimmy Butler and the kind of player he is in the postseason especially. He averaged 22 points over the regular season and through five games has put up 38, six and five on incredible efficiency going against Drew Holiday and Giannis and Brooke Lopez, who are all supposed to be excellent defenders. Um, I don't know what to say about this. First, props to Miami and props to Jimmy Butler for being a one man army. But I think the bigger story here is that Milwaukee came into this series trying to win a championship instead of trying to beat the Heat and move on to the next round. Yeah, that was an awesome quote from Giannis. I think Giannis actually came out and said, we were more focused on the championship than we were on the Heat, and we just got played. And you could see it in the games. And Drew Holiday, we need to start putting him in the same conversations as James Harden, as like a playoff choker. I mean, obviously people have more expectation for James Harden, but Drew Holiday, the second the postseason starts, decides to disappear completely. Um, he did nothing. He got his ass busted by Jimmy Butler the entire series, and he did nothing on offense. So what is his value? If he's not defending at, you know, the best defense at the guard position in the league, and he's not doing anything on offense, there's no value there. Um, Co- Coach Budenholzer... <laughs> Me and you texted each other. You actually, I'll give you a ton of credit on this. You've been hit on him getting fired since like 2020. When they won the championship. Yes, you yeah. wanted him to get fired. Um, In that Brooklyn Nets series, you were like, he should be fired. He should be fired. And then by the miracles, you know, Kevin Durant's foot is on the line. They still win the championship. And you're like, are we still sure Bud should be the head coach? And I'm like, of course he should be. They just won the championship. But, you know, what we saw in that game five was some of the dumbest shit I've ever seen um, from a head coach. We know know the Bud strategy, man. The Bud strategy, every single playoffs, we talk about it year after year. He comes into a series with a strategy. And if that strategy doesn't work, they're losing. Right. He's not making adjustments. He's not changing anything. Jimmy Butler barely got double teamed the entire series, if like a couple possessions. Um, a lot of shit. You know, you can go to that game five, not calling a timeout in regulation when they knew they had a timeout. The Heat apparently on the sidelines were like, What the fuck are they doing? Like Eric Spolster was like, What the fuck are they doing? Um, the just all of the mistakes, man, all of the lack of adjustment. This has got to be. Mike Budenholzer's last year coaching the Milwaukee Bucks. He's got two years and $16 million left on his contract. I don't really know what coaching contracts are, but that feels like a lot of money to give to a guy that you know isn't the reason you win playoff series. Yeah, he's gone. Um, One of the telltale signs in NBA history is if your star comes out after a postseason loss and just rips the head coach. And Giannis, when asked, you know, what would he have done differently? He kept repeating, we just needed to adjust and we didn't adjust. We didn't need, like, we had to adjust. We had to double team. I wish I guarded Jimmy more. And the reporters were asking him, you know, why didn't you? And he said, well, you have to respect the head coach's decision, but I really wish that I could have guarded Jimmy more. And when you, when the star is openly airing that out, Budenholzer's canned. Like, Mm -hmm. he will be gone in the next few weeks. Um, But we do need to talk about Giannis, too, because, you know, on this podcast, I've been calling him the best player in the world for three years running. After he won that championship, it's like, how do you dispute what he's done? And 
there's some weird shit going on on Twitter right now where people really want to dethrone him. I don't think it's necessary right now. You know, in the game, he did miss a ton of free throws. Let's be real. He missed three games. I don't care that he played 10 minutes in game one. He missed the rest of the game. And they lost. It's a weird, weird circumstance. But in that game five, he put up 38 and 20. And it may have looked like a dominant performance, but then you take a deeper look at that at those stats. And he missed 13 of 23 free throws. Yeah. He was hiding from the ball in the end of yeah. the game because he didn't want to be the guy taking the free throws. Um, I think Giannis was still injured, probably pretty clearly. You can tell he was dealing with lower back pain. The fact that he was getting Theragunned every time he was on the bench. Um, he was not at 100%. And I don't... Recency bias is a bitch in the NBA, more so than almost any other sport, I feel like. Um, Giannis is still, if you think Giannis is the best player in the NBA, he's still the best player in the NBA. Um, the Bucks as a unit, I kept saying this, man, and we disagreed on it, but the Bucks as a unit should have been able to beat Miami at least a couple of times without Giannis. I don't know if they could win the whole series because the way we saw Jimmy Butler play, but they should have been able to win a couple of games. Um, this collapse is not on Giannis. I agree. Uh, and, you know, if we talk about head coaches, it's funny. I always I always talk to you about, like, top three, top five coaches. I always somehow conveniently leave out Eric Spolstra. Always. Mm -hmm. And it's just because it's continued excellence, and it's like, he just – he motherfucks teams, honestly. <laughs> so he surprises teams and dominates them. And it's just like, it's really interesting when you have a head coach who's allergic to making changes and then a head coach who is so experimental and so risk-taking in Spolstra. Like, let's, let's look back in the series. He took Duncan Robinson off the bench after sitting on the bench for two years and started playing him in playoff games. And it worked. He's playing Kevin Love heavy minutes. I was a Cavs fan. Kevin Love is washed, but he has figured out how to reinvigorate that player. Um, it's just, you know, Bam. There was there were times in the series where we saw Bam struggle. He just turned him into a playmaker at one point. He was just like, run our offense? It's so interesting, the things he can do to completely mess up your defensive strategy. And when you're going against a guy like Budenholzer, who refused to change... Spolster is going to figure it out sooner or later. He's just that level of head coach. Absolutely. This was a massive win for Eric Spolstra, massive win for Jimmy Butler, but also we just have to give a lot of credit to the scrap heap that is the Miami Heat. Um, Tyler Hero breaks his hand in the first game. Victor Oladipo has some non-contact injury, and he's out for the rest of this. And now we've got Gabe Vincent, Caleb Martin, Caleb Martin the ghost of Duncan Robinson, um, Max Struess, all of these guys come out and shoot 40 over 40% from three. Yeah. Caleb Martin had some fucking daggers, man. Absolute ballsy daggers. Um, we I've talked so much crap about how you can't just surround Jimmy Butler with a bunch of undrafted players and expect to win a series. I have to shut up forever, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I guess so. They just proved it. Uh, but Caleb Martin, thank you for bringing that name up. He's a dog. Like, he's an actual guy. Um, it's weird because you think of the Martin twins and you kind of just think, like, they're clinging on to their NBA lives. Yeah. Martin is an actual NBA player, and he will be an NBA player for a long time. He tries his ass off on defense. He hits big shots. And he has the attitude where he's not afraid of anyone. Um, that is valuable in the NBA, where good role players are at a premium. Um, I'm, I'm just kind of shocked by all of this. I'm shocked by the discourse around Giannis. I'm shocked how bad coach Bodenholzer is. Cause I mean, both of us knew he wasn't a good head coach, but to this extent where I don't, it just feels like, wow, this is a new low for him. And then I'm also just shocked that Jimmy Butler, like we didn't even do enough Jimmy Butler talk. I don't feel like you mentioned his stats. Like he was talking shit to Drew Holiday in game five, down eight points in the last three minutes of the game. He was down eight points and he was, he said, I own your ass. This game is mine. And then literally did it. He is at a level right now where it, it's so funny with him because in the regular season, you mentioned it. We can't put him in top 10 conversations. No, we can't, which is how he performs in the regular season. He's excellent. 
But there are guys scoring like 30 points or, you know, like there's just a better combination of stuff. But in the postseason, it's like it is hard to choose guys over him the way he plays. It's unbelievable. Yeah, dude. And I mean, if we're talking about who's been the best in these playoffs, you've got to be able to acknowledge that Kevin Durant got most of the defensive pressure against the Clippers. Jimmy Mm -hmm. Butler is the only man the Miami or the Milwaukee Bucks had to stop. And he put up. 38 points on 60% field goal percentage. I think he's been the best player in these playoffs probably pretty clearly. He shoots 44%. He shot 44% from three this series. I don't know what happens every time the playoffs start where Jimmy Butler just remembers how to be a great three-point shooter, but it's always in the biggest moments. He's not taking threes in the first half. He's taking threes with a minute left in the fourth quarter. Um, In that game that he put up 56, that bomb that he had to give him 52, He's just a big-time player, man, and everybody talks about it, but there's not many guys. There's maybe like five or six guys that I can comfortably say I want more than Jimmy Butler, and even then, right now, from what we're seeing, there's an argument. Yeah, I agree, and it's so silly because during the regular season, he really kind of just floats in and out of games. It feels like he he defers a ton in the regular season. He's yeah. more of a playmaker setup guy than a, a bucket getter. And then the playoffs start and he just turns into, you know, one of the one of the better playoff players ever. Yes. Um, Before we move on here, just as a question for the Miami Heat or for the Milwaukee Bucks moving forward is what kind of reaction to does this look like? We've heard some conversation about, you know, Giannis needs a guy. Giannis needs the number two star next to him. Chris Middleton looked good, but he's not that guy. Do you think this is just fire Mike Budenholzer, hire Nick Nurse, or do you think there's some player personnel changes that are happening? There is a super, excuse me, super unique issue that Milwaukee Bucks face this season where their roster is super old and their guys are up for new contracts. Like Brooke Lopez is 35 or 34 and he he's going to want a new contract and someone will pay him a lot of money. But if you're Milwaukee and you lose Brooke Lopez, you become a worse team. Same thing with Chris Middleton. Chris Middleton's 32. He's going to want a four-year max contract. Do you want to be paying Chris Middleton when he's 36? No. No. Um, And Giannis has the uh, available option this summer to pick up his an extension or not. Or he can just ride out his contract. So, like... If you're Milwaukee and you lose those guys, you're not a title contender anymore. But if you pay those guys, you're fucked long term. I mean, Giannis still might leave you if the team's not achieving. So they are in, you know, between a rock and a hard place. Absolutely, man. And I don't really know what the next step looks like. Um, Everybody bases, you know, we all we care about is the playoffs. And so when Drew Holiday potentially makes an all NBA team um, or at least comes very, very close and then comes into the playoffs and shits his pants, shoots 29% from three, 40% from the field, nobody's going to look at that guy and think, oh, that's an all-NBA guy I need to have on my squad. Despite how great he played in the regular season, this playoffs is going to sour a lot of people. I just don't think Middleton, Holiday, Lopez, Grayson Allen, any of these guys are you getting great value from. Yeah, and this was the season for them to win their second title because of the stuff I just mentioned, the, all the contract drama. Like, there's just not a lot of room for them to improve if they lose these guys. If they yeah. don't want to pay these guys, there's just not a lot of free agents that can uh, pick up the pace. But yeah, they're in an interesting spot. But let's move on to the other Eastern Conference or the other Eastern series we haven't talked about yet Boston, Atlanta. Mm-hmm. Celtics took it in six, really felt like they should have taken it in five, but Trey Young was just that guy. He was just incredible in game five and willed the Hawks to a win. The question around Trey Young is such an interesting one that I love talking about. You watch him in the first half of game six, he puts up 25 points, feels like he took four shots. Every time he touched the ball, it was just a made bucket. He, he like barely had the ball in his hands for some of that. Um, and then you get to the second half and he shot one of 13 in the second half, five points. Um, So we saw two and a half horrendous games from Trey Young, and then three and a half, I mean, amazing games from Trey Young. Uh, And the question is just, what what do the Hawks do moving forward? Is Trey Young their guy still? I think he kind of has to be, but I'm just not sure what the Hawks look like moving forward. I kind of agree. Um, 
there were funny conversations happening after two games where he looked atrocious in this basketball series. And then he just goes on this, like, I am unstoppable run. And then you mentioned it. Last night, I thought for sure that he was on pace for, like, at least a 40-point game. He had 25 at the half, and maybe even a little bit more. Um, and he had only missed a few shots. And then he comes out in the second half and just disappears and basically has no impact on the game scoring-wise. Um, he was still setting guys up. He helped John Collins get some open looks. But Definitely. in terms of, like, what he did in the first half compared to what he did in the second half, two polar opposite players. But you mentioned, like, how do they move forward? I think you have to stick with Trey Young. You know, this series has gone longer than it was supposed to. I think both of us can recognize that. it was. This should have been four or five games it went six and it was a nail biter Mm -hmm. Um, you know the indication that the Celtics won by an eight point you know margin doesn't really tell the story of how I felt watching the game like it was a legitimate nail biter until three minutes left in the game where the Celtics hit three threes in a row and then Tatum gets a put back dunk and it kind of was just like all right that's the staple um but up until three minutes left in the game this was a literal back and forth affair the entire night. So, you know, if you're the Hawks and you kind of slip into the postseason and compete with an actual title contender, you're probably feeling okay moving into next season. And the way I feel about this is just kind of interesting. After that game five, with no DeJounte Murray on the floor, a guy who's supposed to be one of your most impactful players, it felt like Trey Young was fine just having the ball in his hands 24-7. Um, we spent the start of this offseason before the regular season started talking about what could an off-ball Trey Young look like, and I think we got to ditch that. I think Trey Young is going to be a dude who is forever at his best when he has the ball in his hands 24-7. Um, yeah. You're going to have to live with those games that he shoots, you know, 4-25 from the field, because when he's at his best and he's putting up 35-13, and 13, that wins you games against one of the best teams in basketball. DeJounte Murray was not on the floor and Trey Young by himself just willed the Hawks to a win in Boston over the Celtics. Yeah. And last night he took 28 shots, right? So like that is the formula. We saw it work, right? Even though he only hit nine of them, like I mentioned, super close game the entire way through. He needs to be the guy chucking up shots over and over again. Now, I kind of, I agree that he needs the ball in his hands all the time. But when he doesn't, I'd like to see him be a little bit more of a threat. He does kind of just sit out near the half court line and just stand there. Um, that's not really a threat. Like you're you're playing four on five basketball and it doesn't make anything easier for your teammates. Um, but DeJounte Murray, like I don't know what to feel about him because they traded three first round picks for him. That's a pretty lofty price. I think they were expecting to be a little bit better this year than they were. And then in a game five, well, in game four, he gets suspended, right? Mm-hmm. And then in game six, he has 14 points and five of 13 shooting. And Jalen Brown cooks his ass too. Like, let's mention that. So it's kind of like, I don't know. They may have swung for the fences and missed a little bit with him. But moving into next season, I actually think they have some potential to be like the fourth seed, uh, which I just wasn't anticipating thinking. What are your thoughts on that? They did take a leap with Quinn Snyder as their coach. Quinn Snyder is a great coach, and I think he will do great things for them. But part of the issue with DeJounte Murray is the fact that Trey Young can't be an off-ball player. He doesn't have it in him. So, you know, when DeJounte Murray has the ball in his hands, you've got a guy on the floor who's just useless to your offense. He's not moving. He's not trying to create any sort of advantages for his teammates. Um, So if you brought DeJounte Murray onto the team hoping that, you know, you can stagger their minutes a little bit, and when Trey Young doesn't have the ball in his hands, he can do some spot-up three-point shooting, that's not what we've seen. Um, So DeJounte Murray's role is just kind of smaller than I think they wanted it to be because Trey Young needs to have the ball in his hands to be effective. Um, There's another interesting question, which is that DeAndre Hunter and John Collins are both getting paid $100 million over the next four years. And... John Collins had a great game six, hit some big threes, uh, hit some big turnaround shots. But is this a team that can go anywhere when those two guys are both making 25 mil a year? If DeAndre Hunter plays the way he was playing in this series, absolutely. Um, He played really well this series. Like, 
as a guy who kind of doesn't have an impact in the regular season, I was a little shocked at how well he played against the Celtics. Um, but like I texted you this last night, I think the recipe with Trey is you have to surround him with good defenders. And to, to their credit, they have done that, right? If you go down the roster, DeAndre Hunter, John Collins, DeJounte Murray, Clint Capella, and Okongwu, and Jalen Johnson occasionally. And Sadiq um, Bay occasionally. Right. Like, some guys that can show up. Yeah. Almost this entire roster is willing to defend. It's Trey Young that's the only guy who really can't. Um, And, you know, if you ride this roster into next season, I think they're going to do okay. I, like, in terms of postseason success, I'm not sure. But in terms of regular su- season success, I think they'll be much better than they were this year in terms of their seeding. I just don't know what they look like as a playoff team. Um, I don't know if I have a lot of faith in them, like moving forward in terms of winning series. Maybe if they had, you know, a higher regular season seed, they had an easier matchup. Could they beat the Knicks or the Cavs potentially? Um, Maybe. Yeah, I think it all depends on where they end up in the regular season. But let's talk about the team that won Um, because Tatum and Brown are the guys, man. This is the dominant wing duo in the NBA. Um, Tatum and Brown both put up 27 a game. Tatum put up 27, 10 and five. We have a lot of talk about Jason Tatum disappearing and that game five dud was bad. Um, but what I'm going to stick with, maybe this is a little bit biased, but what I'm going to stick with is that Jason Tatum has gotten so much better at impacting winning, even when the shot's not falling, um, earlier in his career, if he's four of 19 or five of 19 from the field, He's got three rebounds and zero assists, and he's invisible on defense. Um, This series, his rebounding was excellent. His constant passing was excellent. The defense was pretty good. Um, Even in the games where he was inefficient, it still still felt like he was trying to impact winning in other ways. Yeah, he's become a much better rebounder. That's something that as I watch the games, I'm like, he actually is a plus for rebounding whenever he's on the court, no matter what matchup, what team he's in there, he's in the scrum, he's grabbing rebounds. Um, and that makes you a really valuable player. I have talked a little bit about how Jason Tatum can have a little bit of Andrew Wiggins or Tobias Harris in him where he kind of just floats away. But he's one of those guys where you just look back at his numbers and it's like, who fucking cares? Right? Like 27, 10, 27, 10 and five through the series. You know, on okay efficiency, that's kind of what he is during the regular season, right? Like, okay efficiency on ridiculous raw stats. Um, You know, and when Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown each score 30, you're never beating the Celtics. It's one of the cooler stats that's going on in the NBA right now, where it's like their win percentage when they both score 30 is like 96 or something. Um, Yeah, this team's a unit. We knew they were going to win, right? I don't don't think – did you ever have serious concerns that the Hawks were going to win this series? Um, Not that they were going to win this series, no. But when the Hawks won game five, I was pretty bummed. Um, Just, you know, I I feel like I was a bit underwhelmed with the Celtics in this series. Uh, We saw them in the first half of game one beat the absolute breaks off the heat and go into halftime with a 30-point lead. Um, And that made me feel like, all right, this is going to be a quick sweep. Um, And then we saw what the Celtics do, which is just that, you know, they play to the level of their competition. They play with their food a little bit. Um, They lost some games that they did not have to lose. Tatum didn't show up in a game that they needed him to. Um, But I wasn't really ever that concerned that this was going to be an issue for the Celtics. Um, Jalen Brown had a phenomenal series, 55% from the field, 52% from three, 27 points a game. It just feels like he should shoot more. I was watching that game six and I was texting you about it. Like, why are we watching Malcolm Brogdon mid-range shots and Marcus Smart three-point attempts? Give the ball to Jalen Brown. He scores every time he touches the ball. Um, he just, even he had an excellent series, man. Yeah, he's unstoppable, really. He's become an unstoppable scorer. Uh, it doesn't feel like there's a whole lot you can do to get in his way. The three-point is probably the only thing that you know, you can kind of reliably say, hey, go take that shot and feel okay with it. But in this series, he shot it at 52%. So mid-range, check. Three-point, check. Getting to the hole, he's one of the best in the league. Um, He's just a super versatile scorer, man. He's so tough to stop. And I've talked to you about this this year. One of my least favorite things in the NBA Twitter 
community is Celtics fans complaining about Jalen Brown. There's 20 guys in the league that can do what this guy does. Maybe less. Maybe less. So it's like he's super unique. He's unstoppable offensively. I think, you know, something I've talked to you about in the last few days is when Tatum sucks, it kind of doesn't matter at all because the Celtics are so deep and Jalen Brown will just pop up and score 35. Um, this team's a wagon. I'm really excited for next series. Um, but let's do you have anything else to say on Celtics Hawks before I move on to the Cavs? Just next? on the Jalen Brown hate, um, because yeah. I see it and I think anybody that spends a lot of time listening to Celtics fans hears it at some point. Um, I've always felt like there is a contingent of play of people, of fans that do not like Jalen Brown. And then there's a significantly larger contingent of fans that wants all of those people to shut the fuck up. Yeah. Um, all of the hate that Jalen Brown gets is ridiculous. And you see it, man. He shot six of eight from three in that last game. He was just unstoppable. Um, at his best, he is, of course, he's top 20. Um, he's 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 just really, really good, man. And all of the naysayers, all of the time we spend shitting on him, it's just a waste of time. Yeah. Any team in the league would be lucky to have a Jalen Brown. Um, Absolutely. Let's, let's move on to the Cavs Knicks. This is gonna be quick because I basically said everything I needed to say on the last podcast, just outmanned, outgunned, out-toughed. Um, you know, New York is a tough, tough team. They're a physical, physical team, and we saw with the Cavs, they are not. Um, I think leading into this offseason for the Cavs, head coach, huge issue that they should probably address. Wing, we knew it from the start of the year. It's probably the weakest position group in the entire league, right? You said that to me before I even recognized it. I was trying to convince you into Chetty Osman. You <laughs> saw it, right? Um, probably the weakest position group in the entire league. And I just think no one should give no one should talk about Evan Mobley for a few months. Honestly, I don't. I don't think, you know, I'm his biggest supporter. I'm not gonna go around parading over the next two to three months telling everyone how great he is. I'm not gonna do it. Um so that's kind of all I have to say about the Cavs Knicks. I don't know if you have any anything to add, but I think one real quick thing. I mean, there's actually we could talk about this for an hour because you know we've got a lot to say about the Cavs. Um, they have so many things they need to fix. Other people have talked about this. They don't have people on their team who can defend and shoot. Donovan Mitchell's good at it as a guard, but he's really the only one. Um, I thought something that was really telling. Jared Allen in his post-game conference basically said the lights were not basically he said the lights were too bright for me I wasn't ready um and you know he's still a very young guy and I think it's it's cool to have that kind of honesty to be able to admit like no I fucking sucked um but I hope that that's fuel for next year you know I hope that that's not just like oh man I sucked I really got to do better and then nothing changes Mobley and Allen, if they're going to be the big man duo of the Cavs' future, need to be able to perform in the postseason. Uh, I don't know what that looks like if neither of them can space the floor. There's just a mess of issues that the Cavs have to work on. Yeah, I. it's funny you bring up that quote because that that's what we can like finish up with this series with is, you know, it didn't take a quote for me to realize that for Jared Allen. You know what I mean? It was mm-hmm. like... I thought it was funny he came out and said it actually because he had one of the least impactful five game stretches of basketball I've ever seen in my entire life. Um, His sole purpose as an NBA player is to rebound and protect the paint. And he did none of that. And Mitchell Robinson looked like Wilt Chamberlain. Um, When people, when, When Mitchell Robinson, just a role player who doesn't get a ton of respect throughout the regular season, right? Like he's not being talked about on a nightly basis. That's not who he is, is doing historic things against you. Historic, never been done before things against you. Yeah, I would say the lights are too bright. Um, It's not a Einstein take from him there. And just quickly, you said, you know, Mobley and Allen being a big man duo. I don't know how much longer it can be a big man duo. I think, you know, the fit, having two sub 20% three-point shooters on the floor at the same time, I just don't know how it works in the league that is dominated by one skill and it's shooting from three. Um, It's just something I'm looking forward to. Now, if they get 
a really good three-point shooting wing or if Dean Wade actually revives his shoulder and becomes what he was in the first nine games of the season, it's a different conversation. And maybe I'll be a little bit more optimistic, but the fit is just weird. Um, it's helpful in some matchups. Like we saw it working against the Celtics in the regular season. It works. But against certain matchups, you're just hamstrung and you die from it. So they're a weird team. I don't know really what to think about them. Jared uh, Allen got out-rebounded by Josh Hart in this series. Yeah, I think that's what we can end this on. Exactly. He was a bum. But yeah. uh, so let's move on. Um, you know, there have been what, – what's another Going series? to the West. Nuggets, yeah, so Timberwolves. Let's just talk about Nuggets, yeah. Timberwolves really quick because this will be a quick conversation. Yeah. Um, the Timberwolves were never going to be competitive. Losing McDaniels, losing Nas Reed, this was never going to be a competitive series. Uh, what we've seen from this is that Jamal Murray is back. 27 mm-hmm. points, 42, 43% from three. He looked excellent. And what we've also seen from this, which we've said already, Anthony Edwards is going to be the best shooting guard in the NBA. He's going to be a top 10 player very, very soon. Yeah. He plays with balls, man. He just isn't afraid of any shot. He will hit any shot in anyone's face. Watching him play, it's hard to be a Timberwolves fan right now, I think, but it's really easy to be an Ant Edwards fan. That is perfectly encapsulated what you just said hard to be a t-wolves fan easiest thing in the world to be an anthony edwards fan to see a 21 year old go out in a playoff series and average 32 points and like be a legitimate two-way star against the best team in the west you have the premier young player in the league um i did this on our tiktok live the other day i was just kind of like rumbling through some of the premier young guys in our league like you're taking ant over lamello mobley cade Jalen Green, um, you know, Scoot, Brandon Miller, maybe not Wemby, but maybe, right? Like Anthony Edwards is that level of player. Yeah. Um, so, you know, if you're if you're a T-Wolves fan, at least you have a guy you know you can tie your wagon to for the next seven years, and he's going to give you everything he's got. And he's going to play 80 to 90% of available games as well. Um, yeah, he's just a beast. And I think, you know, moving forward, you could get a legitimate two-way dominant player at the guard position for for the Timberwolves. So, yeah, they should be stoked. We've had so many conversations about what Timberwolves look like going forward, what their rebuild looks like, who can they trade, what can they bring in. And I think we just have to wait to see it happen. We've had that conversation to death. We have to see if they actually do it. Um, something on the Nuggets side that I thought was pretty, uh, you know, pretty good for them was the fact that Nikola Jokic did not have to be their leading shot taker. Put on 26, 12, and 9. I'm pretty efficient shooting from everywhere on the floor. Um, this is what he wants to do, man. I think it's perfect for a first-round series like this for Jokic to be able to just kind of coast, set up teammates, and let everybody else lead you to a victory. Um, and, you know, besides that one game, that's basically what we saw. And I think that's just perfect for them for a first round. Yeah, I'm a little more optimistic on the Nuggets moving forward just from what I've seen in this series. It was kind of hard to really gain anything of true value from this just because it was such a lopsided matchup. But, mm-hmm. you know, Jamal Murray looks like a fucking beast, man. And Nikola Jokic, you're right. He kind of got to coast. Like in game one, he played like 13 minutes because he fouled out. And then in game five, he shot under 30% and it did not matter at all. I'm sorry about the uh, alarm there, but... You know, with those two things happening, Jokic being dominant and Murray looking fantastic, that makes me a little more optimistic, despite some of the things that I've voiced on the podcast of, you know, some of the issues they think they have. So, yeah, great, great first round series for the Nuggets. I I totally agree. Let's move on to Phoenix Clippers. Um, This was your team. You had them go into the finals. Obviously, that was contingent on Paul George and Kawhi Leonard staying healthy. But even when we saw a healthy Kawhi Leonard in those first two games, me and you really felt like, the Clippers could take it to the Suns. The Clippers could potentially win this series. And yeah. then Kawhi goes down and everything collapses. Uh, what are your thoughts on this series? Yeah. And when you said my team, that's the team I had preseason yeah. um, winning. And this series can be encapsulated by two things. Kevin Durant being double teamed every single play and making the right play every single time and still ending up with like 28 points per game. And then Devin Booker reaching a ceiling that, I'm not sure we knew for sure he could hit 37 points per game on 60% from the floor, 47% from three and 86% from the free throw line to go along with 3.6 stocks per game. 
two-way impact, dominant shot making, getting to the rim, mid-range, three-point, just the entire package. Um, you know, the Clippers, they were never supposed to win this. I do think that how close the games were has influenced what I think about the next round with them a little bit. Definitely. Um, in terms of the first round, though, yeah, this is not surprising whatsoever. Yeah, I mean, when Kawhi went down, this was just going to be a loss for the Clippers. And we've talked about this on the TikTok Live. We've talked about this, you know, me and you just personally. Clippers can't really do anything. This is what they signed up for. They knew if you can get 16 healthy games of Kawhi Leonard and Paul George at the same time, that's maybe all it takes because this team just isn't beatable when those guys are healthy and balling. Um, But we just don't see it year after year. And I think if you're the Clippers, you do have to just ride it out. You do have to just hope one of these playoffs they'll be healthy um, because there's not really a disgruntled star out there that you could trade an injured Paul George or Kawhi Leonard for and help your team become something new. No, and that that would be dumb anyway, because if these two guys can stay healthy for 16 games, I think they're a legitimate title threat. Um, You know, how likely is it for them to stay healthy those 16 games? Very unlikely. But your picks belong to OKC the next three seasons. If you have Kawhi and Paul George, you're going to be a decent team. The picks are going to be virtually useless to OKC if you just keep those two guys. Um. I don't know. It would make no sense for you to get rid of Kawhi and Paul George right now, make your team worse so OKC can reap the benefits. It makes zero sense to me. Just ride out the contract of Kawhi Leonard and Paul George, see if they can stay healthy together for 16 games and go win a fucking championship. Or if they get hurt, you can just say, dang it, we signed the wrong guys. That sucks. And then by the time this experiment ends, you have your own picks back and then no one fucking cares. Um, that's, that's just kind of how I view it. I think the overreaction and Stephen A. Smith, I do want to say Stephen A. Smith had maybe the worst sports take I've ever seen in my life this week. Um, he said, I saw this on Twitter. He said the Clippers should force Kawhi Leonard to retire. That is the worst, most dumb take I've ever seen in my entire life. Um, yeah, the dude has shaky knees. Did you watch him in games one and two when he was fucking torching Kevin Durant? I don't know. Maybe he's pretty good at basketball. Um, but yeah, the Clippers in general, I think I described their situation pretty clearly there. Just ride it out. It is what it is. You signed up for it. It's, it was an experiment. You knew they were injury prone when you signed them the first place in 2019. It's just who they are. You got to ride with it and hope it works. You're right. And uh, thankfully, J.J. Reddick kind of ripped into Stephen A. Smith for that dumb, awful take, which is, you know, really, really stupid. Um, moving on to the Phoenix Sun side. I'm worried about this team moving forward. Devin Booker and Kevin Durant are incredible. After that, all you have is question marks. Chris Paul is an old man. He is no longer some playoff killer. He's no longer some guy who can get himself to the mid-range whenever he wants. He is an old man. DeAndre Ayton, who knows what you're getting from him game after game. And then after that, it's role players. Corey Craig had the series of his life, shot 56% from three, really had some big offensive moments. But you're not hoping, you're not, you know, relying on Torrey Craig, Josh Okogie buckets against the Nuggets in this second round. I am concerned for the Phoenix Suns moving forward, despite the fact that they won this pretty handedly. What's weird is I don't, like, the same concerns I have for the Suns are the same concerns I have for the Nuggets. Uh, That's why I just don't really know what to do in the second round series. Um, I thought the Suns were going to win for sure before the playoffs started in this series. And now I'm kind of just like, I'm fine with a coin flip. Like, I'm totally okay with a 50-50 because you're right. KD and Booker are the guys doing everything. And then you're not really sure what you get from CP3 and and, uh, Aiton. Jokic and Murray are the only guys doing anything on the Nuggets and you're not sure what you get from MPJ or Aaron Gordon it's like it's a super the top four guys they're good and then everyone else is horrible um at least the Suns can say they have Torrey Craig I don't know who the guy has been for the Nuggets it feels like it's just been Jokic and Murray dominating there I just view them as equals and that's why I think the series is going to be so exciting because I really struggle to find who's better than who yeah, I mean, it's it's really, really interesting, and we won't know until game one. Game one is going to be huge in determining what this series looks like because we have had, I mean, we've talked to death about Jokic's defense. 
We've talked to death about how easy that is to exploit, especially when you have the two best mid-range shooters in basketball. If Jokic is playing drop coverage, it's wraps. Kevin Durant and Devin Booker are going to average an efficient, easy 36 points every single game. Um, Bruce Brown, KCP, and Aaron Gordon have their work cut out for them, being as physical as they possibly can with Booker and KD. I have no idea how that second round is going to go, but just on the Suns' end, I just don't know who you can rely on. Devin Booker is going to get every single point, every single shot he wants. But I just don't know outside of that, once you get away from Kevin Durant and Devin Booker, who are you relying on to help win you these games? Nobody. Like that's, that's what's going to make this series so interesting is we're going to see some unsung heroes in this series. You know, Torrey Craig's going to pop off for one game. Josh Okogie might have an awesome game. Bruce Brown might have an awesome game. KCP might have an awesome game. These are going to be the guys that swing this series, which is so funny because we have these mega stars in this series, but we know what we get from them every single night in and out. It's the guys surrounding them that are the question marks. And I think that's going to lead lend itself to a really, really fun and exciting series. I'm uh, Yeah, I am so excited for that. Uh, before we talk about the second round, let's move through the rest of the first. Let's talk about Kings Warriors. It was a 2-0 series to start this for the Kings, and yeah. they looked like they were just going to comfortably win this series, is how I felt in six games. Uh, watching the Warriors in game two, you could not have tell, you could not have known that that was a team that has won championships, that makes it to the finals year after year. And then we saw in the, in the last three games, the Warriors are one of the best teams in basketball. Yeah. Um, they are a very, very difficult team to beat, even though the strategy is just Steph Curry, please save us. It works. And he does it. Yeah. And Clay's been better. And they're trying this new strategy where they bring Draymond off the bench and it's working. Uh, Jordan Poole, despite still sucking, has kind of added something to their starting lineup just with more dribble creation. Um, Kevin Herter has been atrocious. Mm-hmm. Like, atrocious. This is Jared Allen level uh, playoff performance from Kevin Herter right now. Um, De'Aaron Fox's finger, it did end up affecting him. He looked really good and athletic still, but then the three ball was just non-existent for him. And, and I at least put the credit to that broken index finger on his yeah. shooting hand. Yeah, obviously. That's what I attest that to. Um, but regardless, I mean, this this Warriors team, Andrew Wiggins looks fresh as hell. Like, he just looks like he came out of the cryo chamber and came out to play NBA Finals basketball. Like, I just think this team is a well-oiled machine, and I just I think they take it in Game 6. There are some moments, and I'm not the first one to talk about this, but there are some moments where you watch Andrew Wiggins where you're like, yeah, that dude was a number one overall pick. Like, of course he was. Look at that shit. Yeah. Um, the explosiveness that he has, he had a, a fadeaway in the mid-range, a deep two over somebody that was just beautiful. And even though all he really is is a guy who gives you 17 points a night with good defense, like there's an individual play. There's a couple of plays every single game where you're like, holy shit, Wiggins. Um, And that's, it's a game changer, man. To have a guy who you just is a, is an effective, good role player who can just pop off at any given moment and give you a a dagger. um, It's been big for them. Steph Curry and Clay Thompson have been shooting the shit out of the ball and I'm just surprised, man. I'm surprised by this three-game dominance from the Warriors because it really felt like the Kings had all the momentum. Dude, and Kevon Looney is an absolute animal. Mm -hmm. He is doing to Sabonis what Mitchell Robinson did to Jared Allen. Like, he is destroying the boards right now. And this is a guy that, like, you know, you're right. You said it to me the other day. And you're absolutely right. I'm I'm making a list in my head of the elite role players in the entire league. I've been doing it all season where it's like guys that don't get paid a bunch, but their impact is way outsized compared to their contract. Kevon Looney is literally the embodiment of an elite role player. Dude gets paid a decent amount of money, dominates at what he's there for, rebounding and protecting the rim. And he's just awesome at it. Um, this, I think this series is over Curry 31 points per game at 49, 37, 93, pretty freaking good, right? Pretty freaking good. And when you have clay shooting 48, 41, um, a hundred from the free throw line, obviously he barely takes any, but when he's shooting at that level and he kind of looks like old clay Thompson, this team's just really freaking hard to beat. So, uh, yeah, I think, I think Golden State, uh, cleans it up tonight. 
I think they do too, man. Kevon Looney is so interesting. If you anybody's interested, go and watch his UCLA tape. Go and watch that player because that guy is so different than the guy that he is in the NBA right now. Both of them are great players. Yeah. But if you had watched Kevon Looney at UCLA, you would have had no idea he would become this guy. He's averaging 14 rebounds a game, man, a game. He's been incredible. He really is one of the best role players out there because he just does literally everything you need him to and not a bit more. He doesn't overreach. He doesn't overstep in any way. He's just out there to play great defense, keep the rim locked down, and get every single rebound his hands can get on. Yeah, and it's funny, but, like, he keeps the ball moving, too. And it's important for their offense. Like, the Warriors culture, like, the finding guys on cuts and, like, dribble handoffs and shit, he's just genuinely good at that, too. Um, Yeah, Golden State's looking like a really dangerous team right now. But let's move on to Memphis, L.A., Memphis took game five. Um, They extended the series to game six. I think the Lakers close it out at home in L.A. Um, I just don't think LeBron's going to suck ass two games in a row. I don't think he's going to suck ass two games in a row. And I don't know how any team beats the Lakers at home. Truly. Like just the way that crowd is, the way those guys play when they're at home. I don't know how any team beats them. Um, This was a weird one. I mean, it's, it's, Something we kind of both expected, which is the Lakers were going to win this series, but the two seed Memphis falling to the seven seed is not something a lot of people expected. Um, I don't know how to feel because I really kind of expected this from the jump, but it's, it's definitely notable that Memphis is going to have another year where they're a really high regular season team. They look great. They really look like a unit at all times. And then they go into the playoffs and just underperform. Yeah. Dylan Brooks for the series, uh, 11 points per game on 30% from the floor and 21% from three. Um, And that is on seven three-point attempts a game and 13 shot attempts a game. So it's not like he's taking five shots. He's hucking. And uh, yeah, he's been horrible. John Morant's been a superstar. Like Mm -hmm. he's been fucking incredible. I think we spoke about this last time we hopped on the pod. It is time for them to just pool their assets and really go for it. Um, you know, we've been talking about it since I was a junior in college with this team. It's just, it's time to do something, uh, you know, how valuable are first round picks in the twenties, right? Like at some point we just got to recognize that, yeah, you might really like selecting role players with these picks, but that's not what you're missing anymore. You're missing some top end talent. So I almost want to go far enough and to say it's too late. They had the opportunity to package a bunch of these guys together and now we know what Santi Aldama and Xavier Tillman and David Roddy are but future picks is what I'm saying right oh true if, if you hand over four picks to the Toronto Raptors for OG Ananobi it seems like an overpay it probably is an overpay but if your picks are 25 through 30 every year who fucking cares yes. there's a very slim chance you find a guy as valuable as OG Ananobi in those picks I know they love taking their role guys in that spot. They love it. They love drafting. They've done a pretty good job at it. But now that you're such a consistent winning team in the regular season, your picks are virtually useless. I mean, I don't know what to say other than it's time to really upgrade. And the thing about drafting for guys who are intending, you're intending that they're role players is that everybody around knows that their ceiling's not very high. Nobody's really dying to trade for a guy who could be a great ninth man on their team. Um, you know, if you look back, would you rather have traded the 23rd pick or taken David Roddy? I think you would have rather traded that pick and gotten something. Um, that's kind of how I feel year after year with the Grizzlies is it's starting to be too late, man. We know how good every single player on this team is. We know what their role is. You're not really going to trick a team into saying like, this guy's got a ceiling, man. Zaire Williams could really be the guy. We're kind of just past that. It's time to package picks together and get plus players. Yeah, the Grizzlies young talent, no one's ever, ever considered them like a promising, like the job Brandon Clark, Triple J thing, Desmond Bain, great. All those guys are great. But in terms of the second wave of young talent they brought in, no one gives a shit. Right. Um, but let's move on to the semis or the Eastern Conference. No, wait. Conference semis. semis. Yeah, the conference semis. All right. Let's go through the East first. Um, Miami, New York. Who do you got? This is a tough one, man. I think the Heat or I think the Knicks are pulling out this series in six. 
Um, I think we agree on that. As good as Miami looked, um, I think the Heat, the, sorry, the Knicks are just a dominant defensive team. They are just a team who play with a lot of physicality at all times. And I think that's going to sh- make the rest of the role players struggle. I think when you looked at the Cavs, the Cavs don't really have auxiliary defenders. They don't have a team full of guys who can lock up random guys on the other team. There were a lot of open buckets to be had in New York. Um, and I, I just don't see how Miami wins another series, especially against a Knicks team with Tibbs who plays as physical as they do. Right there with you. I think if any guy is going to know how to stop Jimmy Butler, or at least slow him down, it's the guy who coached him for half a decade. I think that's a pretty interesting uh, wrinkle in this series. I think Mitchell Robinson, you know, will do the same thing that he did to Jared Allen that he will to Bam Adebayo. I, I really do. The Heat are small. Um, Bam is six foot eight, six foot nine, and he's your center. Mitchell Robinson is a towering seven foot two, 260 pounds of muscle dude. He will be able to toss bodies around like nothing. Um, and I just think the boards are going to be another huge emphasis point for the Knicks with Josh Hart and Mitchell Robinson, even Obi Toppin and an Isaiah Hartenstein, right? Like when Bam at a bio comes out of the game, Hartenstein's coming in and feasting on the boards without him on the so it's just. For me, you have Josh Hart and R.J. Barrett to guard Jimmy Butler, and the Knicks are going to do really well on the boards again. It feels like the same recipe they used against the Cavs. I'm taking the Knicks in six. Honestly, I'm also expecting better Julius Randle play. Um, we know what Ju- <laughs> we know what he is in the playoffs, but you know, 14 points on 34% field goal percentage for everything that you can say about Evan Mobley's absolute disappearance on offense. Man played great defense consistently played great defense on Julius Randle. Um, the Heat don't have a guy like that. I mean, if you put Bam on Randle, that's wraps for Julius. But I expect better than 34% from the field for Randle. We'll see. <laughs> <laughs> um, let's move to Boston, Philly. This one I've been very vocal about before the playoffs even started. I think I'm taking Boston in five. Um, I, I, Joel Embiid's awesome. I just think James Harden, I've said, I've done my James Harden rant a million times. We know what he is as a postseason player. I think we're starting to know who Joel is as a postseason player. And we've just seen the deepest team in the league in the Celtics just be able to pull shit out of their ass when Jason Tatum disappears and they still win games. So I'm going Celtics in five. Dude, I want to say Celtics in five. I'm a little bit worried from what we saw against them against the the Hawks. Um, because that felt like a series that should have been wrapped up in five. And then the Celtics just couldn't close out games for some reason. Um, yeah. Talent-wise, I think the Celtics should wipe the floor with uh, the Sixers, especially because Joel Embiid's not fully healthy. Having some extra games to heal from an LCL sprain, I don't know how long that takes to heal. It's not an injury I've ever dealt with. But in game three, man, he was hobbled. Joel Embiid was hobbled. He looked hurt at all times. Um, if he comes into the series against Boston not being 100% healthy, there is no world that the Sixers are able to pull out a series win. Yeah, and I, I want to make clear, if Joel Embiid was 100% health, I'd be choosing the Celtics in five. Um, I just I just think it's a nightmare matchup for Philly, and I just think it's a perfect matchup for Boston. Um, but let's move on to Denver-Phoenix. This is probably the toughest one for me. Um, so I'm going to let you take it so I have a few extra minutes to think. <laughs> I'm going Nuggets in seven. Um, I don't know. I think this is going to be a seven-game series. I think there's going to be some pretty big back and forth in terms of points scored um, because the Nuggets every single night have a chance to just put 125 points on the board. Um, And similarly, because of the way that they defend, because of what Phoenix has as offensive weapons, the Suns have a chance to just put 125 points on the board. Um, It's going to be whoever's hot from three, whoever's able to hit their shots is winning the game. I expect a lot of offense. I expect phenomenal numbers from Jamal Murray, Nicole Jokic, Devin Booker, and Kevin Durant. But in terms of what the overall series looks like, I'm really struggling to figure it out. Yeah, I I think I'm going to go Phoenix in seven because, you know, for KD and Devin Booker, they can rely on on themselves a lot for scoring. And I think a part of Jokic and what makes him so special is he is willing to rely on his teammates. And I think if it comes down to a shootout, 
do I want KD taking a shot or do I want Jokic passing out to KCP taking a shot? And I think I'm going to go with KD. Uh, you know, And I don't know if that's an awesome reasoning. I just view these teams as so even. We spoke about it a little bit earlier. Like they have the same issues, both mega stars, both incredible second stars. I think Booker has the edge over Murray. Um, but I think Aaron Gordon and MPJ have the advantage over CP3 and Aiden. Um, so it's just, it's a wire-to-wire series. I think I think it does go seven, but I'm just going to take Phoenix because of the top-end shot-making from those two guys. And I'm really wondering just what the minutes look like for all of these guys. Because what, from what we've seen from both teams is the bench is kind of disgusting for the Nuggets and the Suns. So if we see, like you know, bench minutes, if we're seeing, we could see some garbage hoops. Um, The difference between the quality of their starters and bench is so different. Like this could really be just a really interesting series having to watch DeAndre Jordan versus Bismack Biombo for a couple of minutes every series. Uh, But overall, just from the starters, man, shit's going to be fun to watch. Offense is going to be beautiful on the Nuggets end. The mid-range shooting is going to be beautiful on the Phoenix end. Um, defense is a question mark for both teams. DeAndre Ayton, I said this in the live with you the other day, DeAndre Ayton is my X factor. Um, I have watched him guard Jokic and I have been immensely impressed. I remember when the Suns made it to the finals, trying to argue like maybe DeAndre Ayton is a top three center um, just because of the impact that he brings. Somebody said on our live yesterday, he averages 21 and 12 against Jokic. Um, He's an X factor, man. If he can play great defense, if he can try to limit those double teams on Jokic, that's going to do big things for them. Yeah, I changed my X factor from yesterday. My X factor was Jokic. I think it's actually just math uh, now. I think the X factor of the series is just math. The Nuggets take so many threes, and the Suns do not. And guess what? Three is bigger than two. And it kind it kind of comes down to this math equation of, you know, the efficiency of a mid-range shot from Devin Booker and KD or the three-point look from KCP and Michael uh, Porter Jr. And it's going to be this, like, weird math battle the entire series where you do see Kevin Durant and Devin Booker stroking mid-range shots all game long, but KCP and Michael Porter Jr. are hitting open threes all game long. It's going to be a very interesting, uh, you know, style of play difference because they play so dramatically different. Yeah, and we've done that. Me and you have done that math breakdown on like how efficient literally guys will have to be. If you're a 40%, I'm not going to go too far with the math here, but I definitely could. If you're a 40% three-point shooter, you score 1.2 points per three-point shot. To match that in the mid-range, Kevin Durant's going to have to shoot 60% from the mid-range. Which he does. He can do. He's absolutely capable of doing. Um, But any amount less than that, and they're going to be less efficient shot after shot. Um, So it's going to be really, really interesting because, you know, for as little threes as the Suns shoot, their mid-range shot is that great. Kevin Durant is efficient in the mid-range on a level that nobody else in the NBA is. Yeah. And, you know, another thing is just how efficient the Suns are at the rim. They don't really love getting to the rim or the free throw line. No. You love the mid-range jumper. But Devin Booker is the only guy who loves getting to the rim and he does it extraordinarily well so if he's barreling into the paint every single possession because he knows Jokic is sitting there again it turns into a math question like how many drives from Devin Booker equals how many open threes uh, for KCP it's just a really interesting strange series because they play so differently but it's going to be super super exciting yeah I think this is going to be the most entertaining series except for maybe the next one in terms of ratings, there's really not going to be any topping Warriors-Lakers. No fucking way. This is the series I'm the most excited for by a mile. Um, LeBron James, the best player over the last 20 years, and then Steph Curry, who has the argument to be the second best player over the last 20 years. Actually, whatever, last decade at least, right? Um this is just insane. These are the two most popular players in the league as well by a mile. Like the third guy, I can't even name them for you. It's these two guys and everyone else. Um, I have Warriors in six over the Lakers. 
I think Anthony Davis sharts himself once in every four games, maybe more than that, honestly, maybe one in every three. He just disappears, does nothing other than play defense. And that's, you know, we just saw Mobley do that, but Mobley's getting killed for it. Anthony Davis does the same shit, except we kind of view him as a top 10 guy. Um, LeBron still doesn't feel like he's healthy to me. Uh, Five of 15 and a chance to close a team out. And he just, does not he just feels unimpactful that's not the LeBron I know but also it's more of a credit to the Warriors right like Draymond Green I've said it over the last week is the best defensive player in the league Von Looney has been dominating the boards he will help keep AD off the boards and you have Andrew Wiggins and Draymond to switch off on LeBron guarding him and then you have Steph and Clay running around screens and the guys they're gonna have to guard them are Austin Reeves D'Angelo Russell and Dennis Schroeder um, I just think this is a nightmare matchup for the Lakers, and I think Curry's on one, and I think he's going to bring them back to the chip. Um, so I, I'm going to take Golden State. I think I'm going to take Golden State in six as well. As good as LeBron James is right now, we can't really do the thing where we do like one-to-one comparisons between Curry and LeBron because LeBron's just old, man. Curry is probably like very clearly – not probably. He's clearly the better player right now because he's younger and he's healthier. Um, but LeBron James, I don't know what's happening. I think it's probably realistic that he's not fully healthy um, because what we saw in the regular season, man, was dominant. He was incredible. And then what we're seeing here against the Grizzlies is a lot of times he just struggles to get by people and he plays pretty passive and he's okay just being a spacer. Um, I expect as much energy as LeBron James physically can exert to come out in this Warriors series. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know what's going to happen. I really, I think the Warriors will win. I think Steph and Clay again, will just shoot this team into victories. Um, the grid, the, the Lakers just don't have an answer for that. No, they don't have guys on their team that can match a three point spray from Steph or Clay. Like D'Angelo Russell's the one guy, but if, if you're counting on D'Angelo Russell to match the production from three from Clay or Steph, you're just, you're fighting a losing battle. Right. Um, you mentioned LeBron. He's 22 points on 46% from the floor, which is lower than the regular season. 17% from three. Gross. And that's, mind you, that's on seven attempts a game. That's not, that's a lot of attempts. And then 68% from the free throw line. That's just not LeBron to me. Like, it doesn't feel, but then he had that huge moment in game four, you know, winning the Lakers the game or getting them to OT and then them being able to figure it out in OT, but... That doesn't feel like I'm the best player in the series type of LeBron. Right. He hasn't been. It's been jaw. But the Lakers have been the better team. Um, So I'm just going for top-end talent from the Warriors to take this over the Lakers. Yeah. Even in that game four, the first three quarters, LeBron James wasn't doing a whole lot of anything. Um, He really stepped up in the fourth and OT. But we've seen him try to reserve himself even still in the playoffs, Um, which tells me that foot is not 100% healthy. Um, they don't have the time to rest. Unfortunately, these series are going to wrap up at about the same time. Um, I'm so excited for this. I think Anthony Davis has got to be the man from start to finish every single game. There cannot be a 12 point Anthony Davis night. If the Lakers are going to win this series, we had questions, man. Me and you, when AD was putting up 35 and 15 for what was it? 20 games over the regular season. Me yeah. and you were pretty comfortably saying, like, yeah, he's the best player on the Lakers right now. Yeah. Um, he's got to be that guy. He's got to be a dominant two-way force who can attack the boards, who can really give Kevon Looney trouble um, on those rebounds. And he's got to put up 28 a night, 27 a night, um, if the Lakers are going to win this series. Completely agree. That's what, or just a LeBron like masterclass, right? Yeah. Where he reverts, you know, he winds the clock back, his foot feels great. And then he's putting up 29 a game on 50% from the floor and like 34% from three. If that's what we get from LeBron, this is going to be a really dog. Like this is going to be a dogfight series. If right. if we get 22 points on 17% from three from LeBron, I just think, you know, Curry, Clay, Wiggins, Draymond, Looney. And I just think Wiggins and Draymond taking turns on LeBron over and over and over again, like just switching back and forth on trying to defend him. I just think there's probably not a better pair in the league to do it, honestly. 
you might not be wrong, man. You really might not be wrong. The Lakers role players are going to have their work cut out for them. Uh, D'Angelo Russell, you've said it. He's not a guy you want to give seven threes a game. He's taking seven threes a game so far in this series. But a lot of the time, it just feels like every time he takes a shot, it's like, what are you doing, man? Please pass the ball. Um, I don't know what to expect. Austin Reeves is a baller. Austin Reeves is going to put up buckets. Uh, They don't really have the guard defenders to stop him. Rui Hachimura has had a hell of a series. And I don't know what to do about that. I've never (laughs) expected Rui Hachimura to be this guy. I don't know, 58% from three. Um, That's not happening again. But, you know, it it really just feels like unless the Lakers are an absolute powerhouse, just absolutely dominating the paint, there's really not a path to them winning this series. Yeah, I just think, you know, when it comes to – because the Warriors have Dante DiVincenzo and Gary Payton on the bench. The Lakers have Jared Vanderbilt, Dennis Schroeder. If we're just doing seven-man lineup for seven-man lineup, I'm taking the Warriors pretty comfortably. Um, I like Austin Reeves a lot. Who's better in a series, like if you had to choose, Austin Reeves or Draymond Green? Ooh, they're so different, man, but probably Draymond. Right, and I'm just thinking, like, out of the top five players in the series, or top six, I think the Warriors have four of them. It goes Steph, LeBron, Anthony Davis – play Andrew Wiggins Draymond that's how I view it I think Uh, that's fair so you know they just have the more top end talent the Lakers might beat them in the in the you know extra categories but I just I just lean Warriors but I will I do want to say like this is going to be one of the most influential semis ever Um, you have KD versus Jokic you have Boston versus Philly round like four it feels like a uh, neat uh, Heat Knicks rematch from the 90s. And then you have Steph Curry and LeBron James, the two most popular players, some of the most popular players ever to face each other after years and years of a rivalry. Uh, yeah, this is like ridiculous. This is storybook shit. Um, I'm so excited to watch. The fact that all of this is happening in round two is unbelievable i think that's part of we've talked about this for years the nba as a whole is getting a lot more talented um the fact that the the eight seed beat the one seed part of that is because just across the board man every team is better um we're gonna see some incredible round two playoffs and it's really gonna I, i just don't even know what to expect for the conference finals the coolest thing for me is that one of the Heat or Knicks are going to make the conference finals. Neither of those teams expected to be that far, realistically. Uh, First round win was the pinnacle of what either of those teams could accomplish. And now one of them's making it to the conference finals, and they're going to put up a hell of a show when they get there. Um, This is just, it's an awesome, awesome narrative, man. Just the story, even beyond the basketball, just the story watching all of this unfold has been so much fun. Yeah, and for me, my favorite storyline is just the Warriors and Curry because I do think this is their last dance type season, and I do think they have a decent chance at winning the title. I mean, they're going to advance. I choose them to beat the Lakers and LeBron James. They'll either meet Jokic or KD in the Western Conference Finals. Like, they will have just defeated the gauntlet if they make it to the finals. And if that's – if Curry makes it to another finals – as the number one guy, like he's reaching territory where it's just like, there's not 10 guys in history that have done what you've done. And there might not have been already, right? But if he keeps adding to this resume, like we we really are starting to like put him in rarefied air as one of the guys that divine the league's history. I mean, I think you can kind of pick out guys from all four teams in the West and say, if this guy makes it to the finals, that's going to do massive things for his reputation. Absolutely. Um, I I can't wait. I think round two is going to be the most exciting basketball we've seen so far. Uh, Before we get out of here, Jared, you got anything rough? Got anything to say? Not much, man. All right. Thanks, everybody, for listening in. We'll catch you later. Peace out.